right. Well, if you're giving your offering, having coffee or getting an apple, just make your way in here as soon as possible. We're going to start. Hit white on there. There you go. And uh, Sherry wanted me to make sure that I told you that there was no words because we're working on things here, as you can say. Everybody say they're working on it. They are. We're working on it. It's like Jesus. He's working on you. He's not done yet, right? Aren't you glad? So uh, I'm, we're changing some things around here technically. And apparently in my zeal to get it done, I somehow disconnected the projectors <laughs> from the back. <laughs> but, you know, we're getting the TV working, so that's good. We're getting, we're getting the vision is starting to unfold. It's starting to come together. So we will be projecting on the TV this morning. Yes. So turn your attention to it. We're doing a teaching on fasting because we are fasting until the end of the month. And uh, just to kind of give you guys some grace in all this, it, it's like there's different ways you can fast. And a couple of you, you know, you're like, oh, man, I've had a hard time. You know, I had food yesterday. I just totally broke down. It's like, well, whatever. The, the idea is like figure out what you can do and what you can't do. Like, and you got to go into it with a mindset. You got to go into it with what you want to accomplish. And so you go into it with like a hardcore attitude, like I'm going to do this and I'm going to seek the Lord. Or maybe you pick one day, maybe you pick three days, maybe you don't fast the, 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 the food, you fast something else. But the idea of fasting is giving up something in place of hungering for the things of God. That's the whole point of fasting. Fasting is not merely to torture yourself and to be tormented and saying, I'm not going to eat meat for 21 days. And then I come home and my son and his friend are chowing cheeseburgers in, in the living room, big whopping cheeseburgers. I walk in, I'm like, oh, this is great. Fantastic. Do you guys cook them in the house? Because I can smell it, you know, that the point is not to be tortured. The point is, is just to change your appetites and to seek God. And just an, another clue before we get into the teaching is that when you're fasting, and you're not in the spirit, you don't really feel like a great person. And if you've been, if you've been experiencing that, okay? So you're fasting and you're like, man, I don't, I don't really feel anything. I feel more depressed than I feel anything else. Because <laughs> I love you guys. This is awesome. The, because you're, you're not in the spirit. You know, when you get in the spirit, when you're fasting, you sense the power of the fast. When you're not in the spirit, you sense the pain of the fast. Do you understand? So like we just had prayer night here on Friday night and it was like a whole other level. We pray once a month here intercessory and we're going to pray every Friday um, for this specific month. And I typically I'm here for all of the prayer and lead out the prayer nights. And I noticed that this prayer night was a whole other was like a completely different level of prayer. I don't know if any of you who come to prayer noticed that this was a completely different st strata of prayer that we were praying. And and more than likely, the idea is because we're fasting. So the point being is that when you're fasting, worship. Just begin to worship God. Begin to pray. Begin to thank God. Begin to honor God. Begin to read your Bible. Begin to get in the spirit because that's the whole point. Fasting produces heightened spiritual sensitivity. But that heightened spiritual sensitivity has to be activated. Understand? It just doesn't come to you naturally. You have to move into the spirit in order for that to happen. So that's my encouragement to you. And if you are, you're not having a hard time making the full 21 days, then pick something. Pick one day. And if you're going to do one day, do Friday. That's what I tell people. Go for Friday because that's when we're praying. So then you can kind of be in agreement with everyone and just kind of line it out that way. You know? Or you can go hardcore and go 21 days. That's what I'm doing. And my wife's looking at me going, you're going to do 21 days? I go, yeah, I'm going to leave the church in, for, in a fast for 21 days, and I'm not going to do it. You know? I'll get a surrogate. You know, this is my person. He's fasting for me. I'm going to eat pizza while he fasts. That's what I'm going to do. But today we're going to talk about prayer. 
prayer has to accompany fasting. The whole idea was fasting and prayer, or prayer with fasting. And so we're going to talk about prayer today, and I want to show you what the Bible would give to us is a model prayer. Many of us know it's the Lord's Prayer. Some of you are familiar with this. Some of you are not familiar with this. Um, so either way, it's going to bless you. The first question that I have is prayer and what is it? Anybody ever ask that question? Maybe you're more spiritual than me. But you have to, you know, the Bible gives us these things. And one of the things that it, it, it makes these statements and it encourages you to engage the statement with a question. I don't know if you're aware of that. Jesus, we're like the disciples. Jesus would say these profound things, and the disciples would just kind of stand there and shake their head like they knew exactly what he was talking about. Have you ever actually read the things Jesus said? If he didn't explain it, it would be, it would be almost impossible to understand what he was talking about. Peter was the one that was different than all of the apostles. Brian, tap the thing, man. Sorry. I think you, I, you might have unplugged it. Je Jesus was, Peter would go to Jesus, and he would say, What does this mean? He wasn't content to just simply listen to this stuff and have it go over his head and pretend like he knew what he, what, what he was doing. Jesus wanted, or Peter wanted to understand what Jesus was actually saying. What does this mean? And so we asked this idea, what is prayer? And when you're understanding the scripture, one of the, one of the methods of understanding the scripture, it's called grammatical understanding, if you want to get theological. And so what does that mean? It means you have to go back to the original language and look at the original grammar, look at the original word, and gain the understanding from the original language. That's, what, that's how we understand. That's one of the ways we understand and discern the Bible. Old Testament's written in Hebrew. New Testament's written in Koine Greek, a specific type of Greek called Koine. And so the word prayer in Koine, and you're going to say this with me so that you all ain't going to be laughing at me. I'm going to be laughing at you when you're saying it too. Okay? Pros uxamai. Come on, help me out. Prosuximai. See, you just spoke Greek today. Prosuximai, it's where we get the word proximity. So prayer is proximity. Prayer is nearness. The word pros means towards, proximity. So prayer is to draw towards, to draw near. So for praying, we're drawing close, we're drawing near, we're moving in proximity towards the Lord. Uximai means to exchange. So we draw near to God. This is the essence of prayer. We draw near to God to create an exchange. And what are we exchanging? We're exchanging praise. We're exchanging worship. We're exchanging will. We're exchanging desire. We're exchanging requests. So prayer is a two-way street. Prayer is just not you seeking God. There's something called meditative prayer, where you're just meditating and listening to the sounds of heaven and listening to what God is saying to you. And God reveals his will to you through this meditative prayer. God reveals his visions and things like that through when you're praying to him. And so prayer is proximity. Prayer is prosuximai. It's to draw near in order to exchange. Does that make sense to you? So you understand what prayer actually is. It's not just words in the air, praying and saying things just randomly. It's drawing near and exchanging something. You're exchanging something with the Lord. Fasting is what the purpose of fasting is. It's an intentional hunger for the purposes and the will of God. So fasting isn't torture. It's a shifting of appetites. You're setting aside an earthly appetite, and you're intentionally making yourself, forcing yourself into a position that says, I will be hungry for the things of the Spirit. I am going to intentionally feed on the things of the Spirit in place of these things. What prayer is, is prayer is the bridge that enables heaven's power to come into our world. It's very important to understand. 
God does nothing but in answer to prayer. The sovereign God, the king of all glory, has delegated certain aspects of his, of his sovereignty. It doesn't mean that he's not in charge. It doesn't mean that he's not, in, he's not all powerful. It means that he's given the authority to someone else and expects us to use it. So he does not do anything unless he's asked. There are other areas where he is completely sovereign and he doesn't share that, and we'll talk about that. His holiness he doesn't share. His righteousness he doesn't share. In other words, he doesn't give mankind the ability to determine what is holy. It's his alone. He doesn't give mankind the ability to determine what is right and wrong. It's his alone. But he does give us the ability to interact with him and to invite him into our world. Jesus will not help you in your marriage if you don't ask him. He won't. He can stand right there with his arms folded, staring at you, looking at the problem, fully aware of the problem, fully, fully conscious and willing to help. But he will not come unless you ask. He will not change our land. He will not shift our city. He will do nothing in these realms unless we invite him. We must request. We must pray. Next slide. Everybody say 2 Chronicles 7.14. Very important verse on prayer. And if you have a Bible or if you have your phone and you can highlight it in the verse, you should highlight these two words that I'm about to give you. If and then. This starts off with this. If my people pray. If. In other words, nothing's going to happen unless my people pray. That's the idea. So if we don't if, then there is no then. If my people who are called by my name, that's you and me, humble ourselves. Again, the idea of fasting, humility, lowering yourself. Seek my face. Seek my face. That's to seek his face and not just his hand. There's different things of seeking. We seek his glory. We seek his will. We seek his beauty. We seek his honor. That's what it means to seek his face, not just his hand. If you will seek my face, turn from your wicked or your selfish ways, then when will he hear? When we if, right? He only then hears when we if. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive sin, and I'll heal the land. God's not going to heal the land unless we pray. God's not going to do a movement of forgiveness. God's not going to bring a salvation revival. God's not going to bring a revival of any kind unless we pray. There will be no movement of forgiveness. There will be no movement of healing. There will be no movement of, of restoration within the land unless the people of God begin to ask for it. Does that mean God doesn't want to do it? Absolutely not. God wants to do it more than you want to do it. But what prayer means is, do as it matter to you. God wants to know if it matters to you. If it matters to you, then pray. If it matters to you, then call out for it. It matters to God, but he wants to make sure it's a partnership. He wants to make sure that it matters to you. Luke chapter 11. The disciples come to Jesus and they ask him for something. Now, these dudes have been traveling with Jesus, and he had a group of 12, he had a group of 70, and he had a group of about 350. So Jesus had multiple layers of, of an entourage, right? So he would travel with the full posse sometimes, and other times there would be partial parts of him. But these 12 were with him wherever he went. They watched Jesus perform power, manifest power. They watched Jesus preach and proclaim the kingdom. But they never asked him to preach, to teach him to preach. And they never asked him to teach him how to manifest power. They watched him do it. They watched him proclaim Sermon on the Mount, Chapter 4, 5, and 6, I think, of Matthew, part of 7. One message that Jesus proclaimed. We study it to this day. Can you imagine how many other messages they heard him proclaim? You know, they probably heard these amazing things, and they'd be like, oh my gosh, nobody talks like this. 
who, where, does he, where does this come from? And they watched him perform miracles, raise the dead, heal the sick, manifest, multiply food. They watched him do it. And they didn't ask him, teach us to do that. They didn't ask us, teach us to teach like you teach. They said, teach us to pray. Why? Because they made the connection from following him that when he went to preach, it was after he prayed. When he performed power and demonstrated power, it was after he prayed. So they were like, okay, let's get this straight. So Jesus was up on the hill. He was gone for three days. We're all just kind of hanging out here, you know, doing our thing, playing cards, you know, whatever it is we're doing, waiting for Jesus to come back. Jesus comes back after three days of praying, and all of a sudden, miracles are going on everywhere. All right, that was pretty cool. So Jesus just comes out, out, of, out of the wilderness um, from, from fasting and praying, and he shows up, and he proclaims the kingdom, and he teaches a message that we're all still trying to figure out. So what's the link here? The link is not the preaching or the power. The link is the prayer. So the prayer incorporates this. So they said, teach us to pray. What's the key to your power, Jesus? What's the key to your revelation? What's the key to your understanding? That's what he, they were asking him for. And he said, when you pray, say this. Let's just say it together. You guys know this. Come on. Our Father. Come on. Say it like you mean it. Boy, you guys are good. Really good. Awesome. So what we've understood this to be is the teaching of like a mantra. And so we, like, you know, say 10 Our Fathers and, you know, four Hail Marys or whatever it is. And so we end up saying Our Father. Jesus didn't give us this prayer as a repetition because he actually instructs us, do not speak prayers in vain repetition like the Pharisees, the religious people. They just kept saying the same prayer over and over again. He said they think they'll be heard for their many words. So Jesus clearly isn't giving this as a repetition. And it's okay to pray it and encourage yourself with it. That's not the point. But what he gave us this prayer is, is as a model. He gave us permission. Next slide. He gave us permission and purpose within the... Well, I'll leave that up there. That's our website, by the way, in case you didn't know. Um, I, I put on the top here, you can see there's a model prayer guide. There's like a... What I'm going to teach you today and what I'm going to talk to you about today, there's a guide on the website that you can click. It's a PDF. You can put it on your phone, tablet, whatever you want to do with it. I'd print it out, but it's like... 13 pages long, and you say, why is it so long? Because it's full of verses, right? So it's kind of verses and instructions. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit today about what it means to pray through this, this model, this outline that Jesus gave us. And on that PDF guide, there's going to be verses related to the things that I'm talking about. And so the goal is for you to read the verses and pray in concert with the, the outline. And anytime you begin to pray and you incorporate scripture into your prayer, you're again, you're activating power. You're activating power. Okay? We're so afraid of power in the church. Jesus told the disciples, you shall receive what? Well, say it again. You shall receive power. Right. You'll get tickled. You'll get the warm fuzzies. You'll, you know, you're going to receive uh, a perfectly ordered life. That's not what he said. You're going to receive power when the Spirit of God comes upon you. So the promise is of power. And so the idea is to begin to learn and activate and incorporate and walk in the power that God has made available to us. So that prayer guide is there. It's got verses. Also, if you're on our email list, I'm going to be emailing you um, uh, an MP3 file or you'll have access to an MP3 file. And it's essentially me praying the Lord's Prayer 
And you say, well, why do we got to listen to you pray the Lord's Prayer? I'm not doing it just to, you know, let you guys hear me. I'm trying to show you what it looks like to pray the Lord's Prayer. And so you'll hear me praying the Lord's Prayer, and I'm praying out the verses that are related to it, and it kind of goes off in some different directions because the Spirit's involved. And if you've ever prayed, you're like, you know, the Holy Spirit starts taking you into these different arenas and directions while you're praying. So the point of this, the MP3 is to see, is to kind of have a model of what it looks like to pray this way. The purpose of the PDF is to give you the scriptures and the, the outline so that you can see it yourself and understand it yourself. This prayer is a key to power, okay? If Jesus is saying, this is how you pray, okay, there's something there. We may not fully understand it, we may not fully be operating in it, but he's giving us something that's insanely significant. And so we should press into it in order to go farther with it. So the model of prayer is, is it's intentional prayer, that we are to intentionally pray this way, and we are to pray, this prayer gives you permission. Oftentimes Christians don't know how to pray, they don't know what to pray for, they don't understand it at all, and they even feel like, well, should I pray for that? Am I allowed to pray for that? Does that, what is, that, what is the, you know, and we get all weird about that, that's human. And so the model prayer gives you permission into all of these areas. And it starts off with our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. The reason that the prayer starts off this way is because the Bible says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with Thank you very much. And it actually tells us, come before the Lord with singing. That's another part of that same verse. So that's the whole point. And so God, Jesus is showing us in line with the word that when we come before God to pray, we are to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And so what this does, this whole part here, our Father is in heaven. The idea of Father is very significant because nobody up until that time regarded God as Father. They referred to him in a Hebrew word called Elohim. Elohim means supreme judge. So they would, Elohim, you know, Hero Israel, Elohim, Adonai is Elohim is one, is Ahad. They would always refer to God as Elohim. So they understood God as the supreme judge or master of the universe. That's what they would refer to him as. But they certainly wouldn't refer to him as father. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to show you something that you're going to have an ability to do. So when we come before God and we honor him as father, we're doing two things. We're creating intimacy with him. Into me, you see, that's intimacy. So we're coming before him and we're declaring father and we're declaring a relationship that we have. And not only are you declaring the relationship that you have, the intimate relationship that you have, but you're also declaring your identity as a son or a daughter. I think he bumped the thing. We're working on it. <laughs> you're also declaring your identity as a son and a daughter. Because he's your father, therefore you're a daughter. Because he's a father, therefore you're a son. You're declaring that. So what does it look like? Father, I just come before you and I thank you that you have given me the ability to be your child, that you've given me the ability to call you father. It's because of the blood of Jesus that I have this ability. It looks something like that. Then we go into this part where we hallow or honor his name. So we bless him as our father and we honor his name. In his name are the benefits. Let's just say that together. In the name of the Lord are the benefits and the blessings. Right? So we have the name of Jesus and that's the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name. Okay, so Jesus is a compound word, so it's two words brought together. Does anybody have a name that they know what your name means? Anybody? What's your name mean, Tank? Oh, go ahead. God's Vineyard. King. Counselor. We have the king and counselor right here. Did you know that? And you have a vineyard sitting in the front row. Fruitful. God of war. Come on. We have a king, counselor, vineyard. 
fruitful and a God of war in the house today. What's going on? So your name declares identity. That's the way it was in the ancient world. We still practice it to this day, not so much. God's name is the same way. It's a declaration of his identity. Jesus means what? Anybody know? It means salvation. Specifically, J-E, Jehovah, Su, Jehovah saves. That's the compound name of Jesus. So Jesus' name means Jehovah saves. Jehovah is the God who saves. So Jesus is proclaiming something to us through his name. If you're Hebrew and you understand it from the Hebrew context, it's Yeshua or Yahweh saves. So the word Yahweh is the Hebrew name for God, and the word Jehovah is the Greek name for God. So that's why people go, well, where's this name Jehovah come from? The name Jehovah comes from when the, when, the, when the Old Testament was translated from Hebrew into Greek, they couldn't translate that word Yahweh because of the structure of the Greek, so it ends up being translated Jehovah. And so we have Jehovah saves, which is Jesus, or Yeshua, or Yahweh saves, which is Jesus. And so we bless the Father, and we bless the Son, we bless Jesus for our salvation, we honor him, we thank him that we're saved, we're thanking him, just, just let the thanksgiving come out of your heart. But not only do we bless Jesus, all throughout the Old Testament, God makes compound names. So what he is doing, because we need all the help we can get, does anybody know that for sure? Right? The problem is not with, uh, with him, the problem's with us, and we need a lot of help. And so God takes his name, and he unites it, and he shows us something in his name so that we can understand the benefits of what he's saying. So he'll do something called this, right? He'll do this, God is my righteousness, which means Jehovah to Sidkenu. That's what it means. And so what is he saying when he says, I am Jehovah to Sidkenu? I am the God who makes you right. That's what he's saying. And so what we're doing when we're honoring the name of God, we're honoring him for what he's done, and we're receiving the benefits of what he's done. Father, I thank you that you are the one who makes me right. I cannot be made right on my own. I cannot possibly do this on my own. I am right before you. It doesn't matter how screwed up I am. It doesn't matter how jacked up I am. If Christ is in my heart, I am right to you. Aren't you glad? That's the God who makes us right. Righteousness means what is right to the Lord. And so when you receive Christ, Jehovah makes you right. You are right now to God. You can't make yourself right. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. He makes you right. It's called imputed righteousness. That's the theological term. He imputes it. He puts it in you or on you. So we have that, and then we also have righteousness. So as a Christian, we're made right through Christ, but we're called to live after righteousness as well. This is the second side. What does that mean? It means not only am I right before the Lord, I'm called to live my life in a way that is right to him. That's what righteousness means. So when it says that the Christian is to live righteous, okay, it means that you are to live your life in a way that is right to him. So that I can give you a little bit of grace this morning, so you know when God tells you to live a certain way, everybody say, I can't do it on my own. It requires the Holy Spirit. You can't live right to God. Even though I'm righteous in Christ, for me to do the things that are right to him, I need the Holy Spirit to give me the power to do it. And so what, what the devil does and what our own conscience does is we beat ourselves up because we can't do the very things he's asking you to do. And so we feel like guilty and shameful and losers. Well, if you could do it, you wouldn't need his spirit. So he's called you to live righteously. And you can only do that with the power of the Holy Spirit. A very easy thing to understand is forgiveness. Forgiveness is righteousness to God. So I always use this as an example. You cannot forgive without the power of God. You can't. Try it out. 
Try it out. We have grudge matches going on all over the world to this day because mankind cannot forgive. Because forgiveness comes only by the power of the Spirit. Just worship and get in the Spirit and see how forgiving you are. Worship and get in the Spirit and see how loving you are. You're an entirely different person. And then get out of the Spirit and start thinking about yourself and then all of the grudges and all of the sins and the forgiveness and all of the things that people have done to you and all the things that you disappointed in yourself over, all that stuff comes up. But it's righteous to God to forgive. But you cannot forgive without the power of the Spirit. Holy Spirit's prominent. He's, he is preeminent. He must be engaged in order for us to do this. So we, we honor God as our Father. We honor Jesus as our Savior. We worship Him for this. We thank Him that He's made us righteous. We thank Him that He's given us the power to live after Him. It's just this idea of worship and adoration, understanding who He is. He's our sanctifier. It's this word Jehovah Mekadesh. It means to set apart. What does that mean? It means that God has called you out of darkness and into light. It also means that the Holy Spirit is working in your life. Kind of like our lights and everything. He's not done with you yet. He's working on you. Okay? He's working on you. He's changing you. He's changing your attitudes. He's revealing things about you that are not correct. Not to shame you, but to change you. He's showing you things about yourself in love and grace, because he's kind of like, Kevin, that's, you know, you're a little off there. In order for us to go, Lord, I'm totally messed up. I, I can't do it. In order for you to give it back to him, in order for him to change you. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. Holy Spirit throws all your junk out of the closet, in case you don't know that. Okay? He makes room for himself in you. If you want him, he, won't only, he will only take the rooms that you let him in. And lots of Christians don't let the Holy Spirit into all the rooms. I'm just saying it. There are lots of Christians that have areas in their life where they have never allowed the light of the gospel to shine. And the darkness remains. Doesn't mean they're not saved. Doesn't mean they're not forgiven. But they abide that darkness because they have not let the light of the gospel into that area. They have not let the Holy Spirit into that room. But what happens when the Holy Spirit comes into the room? Boom! He comes in and he just starts chucking stuff out the door. That's what happens. All your junk comes out. And you're like, I'm such a loser. It's not that you're a loser. He's just drawing it all out of you. You don't need this. What do you even care? This is 1972, man. What do you got that? Get rid of that. You know, he's throwing all this stuff around, you know. And then there are things where he'll sit you down at the table and go, okay. Some of the stuff, it had to go. You knew it had to go. I knew it had to go. But let's talk about these things. You know? And then there's other things that he wants to engage you on. Are you willing to let this go? I know you're emotionally attached to this. I know the pain of your childhood. You have an emotional attachment to it. I know that. You don't really want to let that go, but I need you to let it go. But I don't want to let it go. Okay, well, let's just put that in a box for now. We'll come back and we'll deal with that later. He'll let you hold on to the things that you're emotionally attached to. Anybody ever tried to clean out somebody's house? Right? Oh, you can't let that go. Oh, we can't throw that away. You know, and you go in there to clean out a room and you end up walking out with a little box of stuff that they, this is all they could let go, you know, the rest of it, you know. That's the way the Holy Spirit is. He'll let you keep all the junk you want. And he'll keep coming back to you and trying to do it. And you can carry that junk with you for the rest of your life if you don't want to deal with it. That's how he is. But he's the sanctifier. And so we welcome him into our life to sanctify us. Anything the Holy Spirit wants to get rid of, he's doing it for a reason. He knows some, he wants to do something far more than you want. So we honor God as our sanctifier. He's the one who sets us apart. He's Jehovah Jireh. Anybody know what that means? He's our provider. He's our provider in every way. He is our provision, past, present, and future. He provides for us in every way. And so we acknowledge God and we thank God that I am a, not an orphan. We thank God that I am not an outcast. We thank you that I am a son 
And as a son, you are my provider. In my, as a provider, I will want for nothing. You begin to pray and you begin to interact with God based upon his name. Do you know what he says about his name? My name I place above my word. There's only one thing more higher than his word, and it's his name. And he says, I, hey, I arise to perform my word. So can you imagine you're invoking his name and his word at the same time? You're calling him out on who he is. When somebody calls out God on who he is, he arises. He says, yep, that's me. Yep, that's what I do. Yep, that's me. The part, problem is, is we're not partnering in understanding who he is. We're not accessing the things that are ours by right of inheritance. You have right to these things. They are yours by right. And here's the thing with our culture. We're just so down. Well, I just feel guilty. I just, I don't have any rights. I'm just a loser sinner. That's how we teach Christians to think. That is not the God of the Bible. That is not the God of the Bible. I'm sorry to tell you that. You need to go back and reread your Bible and get your theology straight because that is not the God of the Bible. He's the God of blessing, the God of abundance, the God of provision, the God of purpose, and the God of power. That is the God of the Bible. And this God is for you. It's for you. And he heaps it on you. And you don't even deserve it. That's why grace is amazing. You don't deserve it. What would you do to do this? Nothing. You asked. You understood. There are Christians who access things because they understand what's positionally theirs. There are other Christians who never access things because they don't understand what is positionally theirs, or they do understand it, but they never engage it. We have to press in for what is yours. It is God's will that you be provided for, period. People, places, and things. Somebody's going to have a job. Somebody's going to get paid. Somebody's going to be promoted. My Bible reads you're a child of God. My Bible reads you're the, the bread is for the children. My Bible reads that I am the head and not the tail above only and not beneath. Positions, promotions, and provisions are mine according to covenant right. This may not be the job for me, but by God, he's got something for me. According to the word of God, who are you going to believe? Whose report are you going to believe? What agreement are you going to make? That's the point. God is your banner. That's Jehovah Nisi. He's your victory. He's the God who overshadows you with victory. This idea of banner, he places his love over you. He invites you to his banqueting table, Song of Solomon says, and he puts a banner over you that says loved. Do you know when the, when the spirit, when the angels see you in the spirit, do you know what they see over you? Loved. Loved. Marked of the Lord. Loved of the Father. Do you know when the devil sees you, you know what he sees? Marked of the Lord. Loved of the Father. What do you see when you look in the mirror? I don't know. I see a lot of bad things. You should look in the mirror and go, marked of the Lord, loved of the Father. Why? Because the Bible says so. He brought me to his banqueting table, and he placed his banner over me, his tapestry. It's a war banner, Mario. There you go, God of war. It's a war banner, and he is declaring war. He's declaring war. You are the apple of his eye, and you are loved of him. He's your shepherd, Psalm 23. You should never be without leadership. You should never be without direction because the Lord is your shepherd. He will guide you. Your kingdom come. Where are we going? Jehovah Shammai is always there. That's the abiding presence and the manifest presence. It's a whole different thing. We know about the abiding presence. Oh, we believe Jesus is with me wherever I go. We believe that. But you know what the manifest presence is? The manifest presence is the presence that gives you the ability to experience him. Two different dimensions, entirely, okay? Entirely different. Couldn't be further apart. Manifest presence 
One example of it is when you're worshiping God and the presence of God is coming over you. That's manifest presence. Manifest presence is to make known, okay? So we have the abiding presence where he's with us, moving around, you know, we know, okay, the Lord's with me. I got it. I believe that. God's with me. He doesn't leave me, forsake me. I got that. Manifest presence is when you're encountering him and experiencing him. Christians have access to manifest presence. Manifest presence is miracles, power, wonder, experience, prophetic. That's, that's manifest presence. That's yours again by right. So we understand that he is Jehovah Shema. I thank you, Father, that you have not just given me access to that, but you have given me access to your manifest presence. Right now, Holy Spirit, I just receive your manifest presence in the name of Jesus. I just declare your manifest presence into my circumstances. I just declare your manifest presence into my child, into my children's lives, into my family's life. I declare your manifest presence into my future, that you go before me and create the encounter, that you go before me and prepare the way. Try praying like that. Shift the universe. You say, I feel weird. Lock yourself in a room. Drive in your car, okay? What is, we, I talked about on Friday night at prayer, what is, what is childish to us or foolish to us is honorable before God. Prayer is neglected because we don't experience it enough. We will all come to worship and experience the worship because we're getting something out of it. We're receiving ministry. But if you understand prayer to be ministry unto the Lord, it shifts the dynamic. Then you don't have to worry about getting anything out of it. I'm praying because it ministers to God. I'm praying because it blesses God. How does it bless God? Because God wants to be involved. Is there a mother in the room that doesn't want to be involved in their children's lives? I don't know any parent that doesn't want to be involved. They want You want to be involved, right? Your father wants to be involved. So when we bless him and we pray to him and we ask him, we're calling on him, believing who he is, and we're also allowing him the opportunity to involve himself in our life. It blesses him. Mom, would you come to my choir practice? Mom, would you take me to ballet? Dad, would you come to my game? Dad, would you help me fix that? I mean, I mean he's at, they're inviting you. That's a blessing to you. You're like, wow, my kid actually wants to spend time with me. It's crazy. You say, my kid always wants to spend time with me. Well, wait till you get a teenager, then you'll see the world shifts. That's when we start being grateful for our kids, is when they're teenagers and they start asking us. Then you're like, oh my gosh, they're asking me for something. This is great. <laughs> Sorry. Anyways, I'm going to move fast, so buckle up. So that's honoring God's name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We begin to ask God that his, the word kingdom is king's dominion. We begin to ask God for his rule, his reign, to invade every facet of our life. That's what we're asking for in that prayer. King's dominion, king's dominance. So we're asking for the king's dominance to come into every area of life. We're asking that his will would be done. And we ask for his will, we have to understand his will. And even if you don't understand his will, you can still just go, Lord, I do not know what you're supposed to do there, but whatever your will is, I just pray that your will is done in that, that situation. You're inviting him. What is true in heaven would be true upon the earth. So why do we pray for his kingdom and his, and his will to be done? Well, here's some of the things that we know through scripture that are clearly defined as his will. He wants you to know the plans that he has for you. It's his will that you understand prophetic destiny. It's his will that you understand heaven's purpose. That's his will. It's his will that people come to salvation. It's his will. So we pray for people to be saved because that's his will. It's his will that we be thankful and prayerful in all things. That's his will. It's his will that we have sexual and relational purity. 
It's pretty clear. This is the will of God for your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. It can't get any clearer than that. It's his will that you walk in the Spirit. It's his will that you prosper and be in health. This is his will. And so we call on God, and we invite his will, and we walk in his purposes, and we declare his will. And I was just talking with a lady in the back. She says, I don't even know how to pray about this situation. And you're going to be confronted with me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You want to pray about something, but you're like, just, I, I just, I don't even know where to begin here. You know, I just, I got nothing. I don't even know how to pray for this. Or sometimes it's so overwhelming. And something I felt like the Lord showed me was I just release the fullness of the Holy Spirit into that circumstance. I release the fullness of the Holy Spirit into my marriage, into my home, into my future, into my finances, wherever it may be. I don't know where your area is, but you just release the fullness of the Spirit. And you say, is that enough? Well, when, you don't ha when you don't know what to pray, that is enough. The Holy Spirit wants to do something ab abundantly beyond what you can imagine or think. He wants to do something greater than what you could possibly imagine, and his will is perfect, and he knows what he's doing. So even when you don't even know what to ask him for, you just say, Lord, just whatever it is you want to do, I just release you to do whatever it is you want to do. I'm allowing you to go and do whatever it is you need to do. Next slide. We begin to pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. This is where we can ask. You begin to ask God for his will to be done in your life, for his kingdom to be done in your life. You have two things. Heaven gives you two things. And these are keys to everything. You have a prophetic destiny. You have a purpose by which you were created. There is a design in which you were created. There's something about you that's unique to only you. There's something that you do at a very high level that is a destiny that God has given you that you are to bring forth to the world. Whatever that is. What is that? I don't know. It's your prophetic destiny. I don't know. But it's God's will that you know your prophetic destiny, that you know what heaven speaks over you. It is God's will that you know your redemptive potential. Okay? So prophetic destiny is what, who and what you are and what you bring to the world and how you're manifested. Redemptive potential is what you are to accomplish, achieve, or partner with in this world. So we pray that we would know his prophetic will, and we pray that we would reach our full redemptive potential. I prayed over this church all the time. That, Lord, you would reveal your prophetic will, that you would make your prophetic will known to this church, and that this church would reach its full redemptive potential, its full ability to do what we are designed to do. So not only not enough to know what God has told you to do, but that you would reach the full ability to do that. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Lots of people, they know what they're supposed to do. There are people I've met, they know what they're supposed to do, but they don't have the guts to even engage their redemptive potential. They're afraid. So it's not enough to know what you're supposed to do. You have to pray that the Lord will give you the ability to reach your redemptive potential. These are just little areas. But then you pray over God's kingdom and his will in your life, over your family. What, is the, what does heaven look like to show up in your home? These are the questions. So what is God's kingdom and God's will? What does heaven look like? What would heaven look like if it showed up at your house? What would heaven look like if it showed up at your workplace? What would heaven look like if it showed up at the school or the neighborhood? That's what it means. We're praying whatever that is what we're, we're asking for. Would there be peace? Would then be a peacemaker. Would there be love and forgiveness? Would then bring love and forgiveness. Whatever that looks like, that's what it means. We pray for our family. Where are the areas you pray for your church? Why? The church is paramount to God's plan. You are here tomorrow, today, and you are doing the most significant thing that you have, could possibly do all week. You are doing more today than you, could have, than you have done the entire week. Power is coming to you. Grace is coming to you. Purpose is coming to you. The church is paramount to God's plan. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. We quote that. And I always tell people, quote the rest of the verse. To him be glory through the church. 
The church is essential to God doing exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. It will not happen without the church. Will not. Mark it down. You have to be part of a church, part of a church family, engaged in a church family, participating in that church family, and running whatever God has called you to do with the church. That's how it works. Paraministries cannot succeed without the church. Missionaries cannot succeed without the church. It's all wishful thinking. Without the church, nothing gets done. Jesus has put the church at the center point, and he says, if you do not love the church, you do not love me. If you will not serve the church, you do not serve me. If you do not bring glory through my house and participate in what I'm doing, the way when we give to the church, you know what you're demonstrating? A love for Jesus. You're not demonstrating a love to the pastor or a love to the lights and the, 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 the tinkly things that we got going on. Oh, I love this so much, let me give. Jesus says you demonstrate your love for me by supporting my kingdom through the church. So if you do not support the church, you are not demonstrating love for God. I'm just saying, well, I don't know. Jesus said where your treasure is, your heart is. Hello, well, I give over here, I give over here. He's not told you to do that. That's called an offering. That's called, called the tithe. Let's get our theology straight, okay? Let's get it right, right? If we want to do what is right to God and go down the lanes that are right to him, not what's right to us. You don't have the right to determine righteousness. He has not given you the ability to determine what is right and wrong. He's told you what is right and wrong. And he says, this is right. Well, I don't agree with it. Well, then you're not walking in righteousness. You can write that down. So <laughs> that's for somebody. <laughs> but when you are walking in righteousness, blessing abides. Aren't you glad? Amen. Righteousness is about getting the abiding blessing on your life. It's not about torturing you. It's about blessing you. And God says, I can only bless you if you're here. I can't bless you over there. The lane of blessing is here, Kevin. The river is here. Get in the river. But I don't know. I don't like that water. I kind of like it over here. <laughs> well, then play in the mud. But if you want the blessing, there it is. We think we can determine it on our own way. We can't. We live in a pluralistic culture. We teach this garbage in the church. God as you understand him to be. It's not God as you understand him to be. He's not relative in these ways. He's relative in some ways, but not in these ways. What is right is what is right. What is wrong is what is wrong. I am the Lord God. I do not change. That's what he said. I don't change. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. We pray for the church. We pray for the pastor. We pray for the elders, the leaders, the vision of the church. Why do we pray for the pastor and the elders? Because the enemy wants to strike the head. How does he knock you out? If he hits you in the knee, do you get knocked out? Somebody step on your big toe, do you suddenly fall unconscious? If he punches you in the head hard enough, you're going to go knocked out. That's the point. Jesus is the head of the church, but the, but the head is manifested through a leadership structure that goes pastor-elder. And so if he can punch the pastor-elder in the head hard enough, he can knock out the whole body. It's not about a person. It's about a position. You're not praying necessarily for a person, although I invite all the prayer I can get because I need all the help I can get. But we're praying positionally for the pastor and the pastors because it's not about the pastor. It's about the body. The, the, so you know, if you're part of a church, the oil flows over the head to the body. The anointing that comes upon, upon me and the anointing that's upon this church flows to you. Aren't you glad? 
So you're actually helping yourself by praying for the church. You're actually helping yourself by praying for your pastor elder. The vision, the purpose of the church that we would be accomplished for the people, that the people of the church would be faithful. God, help us that the people be faithful, serving, giving, loving, all of that. We pray for the lost. We pray for our nation and our government. God's got a plan for the nation and the government. You think he's happy with the world? You think Jesus looks at the world today and goes, man, that's exactly what I had in mind. Thank God. And that's totally what I wanted. Of course, that's not what he wants. We have to pray. We begin to pray for our nation, our government, our leaders, that God's will would be done. His kingdom would come. What does heaven look like? What is the unrighteousness in our land? Where can we pray that God would change that? Where is the unrighteousness in our government? Where can we pray that God would change that? Where is the unrighteousness in the world? Where is the sin and the wickedness? ISIS is not God's will. FYI. Well, it's just the will of the Lord. The Lord's just let them have them, you know, going out there. Yeah. It's God's will that people get their head cut off. That's totally, that just sounds like Jesus to me. No, it's an absence of prayer. Darkness comes in when there's a vacuum of light. When the light does not occupy the space, it creates a vacuum, and darkness will naturally fill that darkness. These things are absences of light, and so we bring the kingdom into that to dispel the light. We begin to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. I'm going to keep moving real fast. What are you doing in this part? You begin to pray for your provision. So if you begin to go down this, like even as a list and order, people say they can't pray for a long time. Pray the Lord's Prayer. You'll pray for a while. I prayed it the other night and recorded it. That was an hour and 40 minutes, and it felt like 10 minutes. I mean, it was like I was in a surreal. I was in this other world. It was like, woo. When I was trying to record it, I was trying to be all like professional and everything. And it wasn't. I had to like, man, this stinks. This isn't even coming out right. And the Lord's like, well, just forget you're recording it, dude, and pray. And I'm like, oh, okay, I can do that. Then it changed. But we pray, give us this day our daily bread. We pray for provision for needs. I'm a little long, but just bear with me. This is worth it. This is important. This is all the stuff I wanted to say in first service, but I didn't have the time for it. So, I, you know, I'm like, you're getting all that. So anyway, praying for provision, it's called supplication. This type of prayer is calling supplication. It means to supply. And what I would say to you is God wants to supply for you. You should not feel guilty or shameful by asking Jesus for anything. Ask, seek, knock. He didn't put conditions on that. That's an unconditional uh, permissiveness. You ask God for provision. You ask God for needs. You ask God for wants. And you ask God for desires for yourself and for others. People go, well, I don't know what I want. Well, then ask the Holy Spirit to show you what you want. So, you know, we don't really know what we want. Right? Ask your wife if she knows what she wants. It changes. <laughs> I won't get into that. But anyway, but we begin to ask God for these provisions. We ask him for the things. We ask him to awaken things in us for us to ask him for. Show me what you want from me, Lord. Show me what I want. Show me awakening me. We ask him to forgive. This is where you come before God. If you're carrying stuff, you need to carry it no more. Lord, I just lay that down. I lay down my attitudes of my words, my actions, everything. God, I was just around some really crazy things, and I just feel dirty. Just, you ever, you ever been, you ever gone places and been around people and, you know, you know what I'm talking about? And you leave there, and you're just kind of like, ah, I want to, I don't know, I want to shower, you know, like, we just ask the Lord to cleanse us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. We forgive. Forgive means to put forgiveness in front. For, which means put it out, give. And so what does it mean? It means we walk in forgiveness. Walking in forgiveness is having the attitude, let's just say it together, I refuse, I refuse to be offended. That's forgiveness. That's what it means to walk in forgiveness. If you t set your heart on that day and say, I refuse to be offended. 
Nobody's going to do anything today that's going to tick me off. I refuse to be offended. I've learned that from Sherry. She's done that to me all the time. I'm walking in forgiveness towards you, Kevin. I refuse to be offended. I'm like, really? <laughs> but we, it's what it means to forgive. We refuse to be offended. No one's going to offend me today. I refuse to receive offense. Forgive us, and then we forgive. We re intentionally release other people who have indebted to us. We do that again through the Spirit. Last slide. We do not lead us into temptation. What does that mean? This is a big one. If you're writing anything down, write this down about this. When we pray that God would not lead us into temptation, what we are asking him for, and this again relates even to fasting, is we're asking him to change our appetites. That's what you're asking for. Say it with me. Temptation, temptation. means nothing, nothing without appetite. You can go to KB's restaurant this afternoon, and he can lay out for you steak tips with yellow rice, saffron, like he makes with asparagus. Amazing dish. When I'm not fasting, that's what I'm going for right there. <laughs> and if you don't eat meat, that plate means nothing to you. And if you uh, are not hungry, that plate means nothing to you. But if you are hungry and you have the appetite, you are suddenly in another, a whole other world. And so what we're tempted with is what we're hungry for. And sometimes our hunger is a variation of something good. We hunger for a relationship, and we go into all the wrong relationships, and we end up in these really bad places, and we can't seem to stop going into these relationships. The hunger for a relationship is not wrong, but the appetite for that type of thing is wrong. There's something misguided within the hunger. So we're asking God to change what we're hungry for or to purify what we're hungry for. We're asking him to purify even us in our direction towards him, that I would be hungry for your word, that I would be hungry for your spirit. And even acknowledging, this is important, okay? Christian, this is important, that you acknowledge what the problem is. I just don't feel like loving anybody. I honestly feel like going off and getting in a fight. That's just how I feel. Lord, change it. No, I'm just, I'm using, it's called hyperbole. I use a big example, right? So it's like, you're like, oh my gosh, Kevin's going to go out and get in a fight today. <laughs> it's going to go down right over there, man. That's where it's going down. No, but you, you have to acknowledge where you are. Lord, I don't feel like I'm hungry for you. I really don't feel like I want you. Help me. That's my problem. Help me. Let me be hungry for you. Let me want you. Holy Spirit, change the things that I'm hungry for. Purify the things that I'm hungry for. Make right the things that I'm hungry for. That's what you're asking for. Deliverance from the evil one is spiritual warfare. The enemy doesn't play fair. Okay? As a Christian, you are to have a theology of the devil. What does that mean? Good God, bad devil. Great God, little bitty devil that caused a whole lot, a lot of problems. Okay, that's the point. And the Bible even tells us in Peter, it says, we are not ignorant of the devil nor of his devices or schemes. So what's it saying? You're not to be ignorant of him. It doesn't mean you fixate on the darkness, but it means you've got to be aware of what's going on. And the enemy comes into areas of your life, and he occupies areas of your life that he doesn't have a right to. He's called a squatter. He just comes in, plops right down in your living room. And you're like, you can't be here. Says who? Says who? Eats up all your food, consumes all your fuel, just completely devastates your house. And until you know who you are, and until you know how to properly evict him, you, he's going to sit there and squat. He takes what is not his. He's a thief. He steals. He again, th he steals, kills, and destroys. That's what he does. He destroys things in your life. He wants to put to death things in your life. And he does it without your permission. 
And until you learn spiritual warfare, which is another teaching in and of itself, you got to say, no, that's not happening. No, that's not what my Bible says. No, you can't have that. It's called spiritual warfare. We have to fight. There's a verse in Nehemiah that tells them, we quoted this at prayer, fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your households. The Bible would not tell you to fight if you didn't have to fight. It would not tell you to put on armor if, you weren't, if there wasn't a fight. Heinrich posted on Facebook, I forgot I said that. It was like, it was like you know, it said something about a street fight. That's what it is. Spiritual warfare is a street fight. It ain't fair. I mean, you're getting an armpit in your face. You're getting an elbow across your, across your, you know, your nose. I mean, it's a street fight. And so you just put that right back up on him. You give him a beat down. Absolutely not. I bind you. I cast you out. You have no authority. You have no rule. You know, right. You know, you, you, you overcome him by the blood of the Lamb, word of testimony. Use what Jesus did. Use verses. That's spiritual warfare. And then we end, and I'm done. We end with declarations of prayer. We begin with prayer and praise, and the prayer ends with prayer and praise. You don't think prayer and praise is important? He puts it at the beginning and the end of the prayer. So we enter his gates with thanksgiving, his court is praise, and then we come at the end, and we declare that his is the kingdom, his is the power, his is the glory. So that's how we end the prayer. We, we, Lord, it's your dominion that I seek. It's your glory that I seek. It's yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory. So what are you supposed to do with this? Okay, this is a big teaching. What I'm challenging you to do is begin to develop a pattern of this in your life. Begin to understand this and try praying this out sometimes. You know, and, and people go, well, it takes away the randomness of prayer. Well, yeah, it probably does because it's more of a structure, you know, but you're not praying it in structure. Sometimes you're gonna move right through parts of it. When I pray this, sometimes I don't even get past the names of God and I'm done. I mean, I didn't even get your kingdom come, your will be done because I just spent an hour praying and blessing his name, you know, and in the blessing, and that's just how it is. Sometimes you're going to pray through the names of God, and you're going to get hung up on something over here, but it's okay. It's not, it's not, it's not meant to be, it's meant as a guide. Other times, it's just going to guide you right through. One of the best ways to interact with it is to look at that prayer to, you know, I'd say download the, seat, do the MP3 that we're going to send you this week, and then download the PDF, and look at the verses, and then when you're going to pray, sit down and write out, write, write things out, you know, what, what does, you know, what does it mean for God to be my provider? Father, what am I thankful for in, in his provision? And you might find yourself writing that out. It might be lengthy. Read the prayer. It's okay to read the prayer. Some people are better putting their thoughts together collectively. Some of you are verbal processors. In other words, your brain doesn't work unless your mouth is moving. Okay? That's kind of like me. Okay? Let me just, I start talking about random things, and that's what gets the gears moving. Other people, they're not verbal processors. You're internalizers. So you have to internalize it in order to express it. It's okay, we're all different. But that's, that's kind of what I'm telling you. So I'm just trying to challenge you to begin to engage this and begin to pray in these powerful ways and begin to take these things down these ways. It's gonna change the way that you think. It's gonna change the way that you approach God. It's gonna change your experience and your relationship with God. And you have to set a time aside. Bible actually says that God, Jesus went aside at a certain time. What does that mean? It means he created a margin in which to pray. It says that Jesus went to a certain place. In other words, he found an environment that was engaging for him. Not all environments are engaging for prayer. You know what I mean? Especially intimate prayer like we're talking about, right? Sometimes it's just you do these little quick, help me out here, Jesus, kind of things. And that's all right. But you have to create a place. And you have to find that place. You have to find where is that place for you? Is it driving in your car? Is it, is it finding a park? Is it water? Do you pray better when you're with people? Do you pray better by yourself? I mean, what is it? that you need, but you create those environments and you create that margin. 
prayer is a central theme to the Christian. It's central, right? It's central to who we are and what we are to be. And we have to begin to operate in this way. And Jesus has showed us this. It's insanely powerful. It's insanely powerful. Anybody watch Star Wars? Okay. Anybody like Star Wars? Yeah. They take these little Padawans and they have to teach them how to help carry a jet, how to take a sword, right? And until they carry the sword, then they become powerful. They have to learn how to move with the force, right? They have to learn. They're not naturally born moving with the force or moving with the power that's theirs by right. Well, there's spiritual significance there. We have to learn these things. We have to learn to, to, to wield the things that we're given. We don't know. And so we have to begin to exercise and train ourselves in these ways in order for it to happen. And I would even tell you not just log it and all this other stuff, but create a journal. Write out the things that you're praying for, and you're going to see things are going to shift. You're going to see that things are going to happen. So when you're praying his will be done and his kingdom to come in our city, just begin to write that out, and all of a sudden you're going to see things that are going to begin to change. You're going to be praying for people, and you're going to see things begin to change. It will happen. It won't happen immediately because once you start going into the devil's territory, he's going to front you, and he's going to stand you, and he's going to make you push past him. He's going to make you pretend or see that nothing's happening. That's what he's going to do because he wants you to stop praying. Because when you pray, you enter the heavens and you wreck him. That's what you do. Prayer wrecks him. Just totally undoes him. So, anybody get anything out of that? Yeah? Okay, good. We're going to take communion. We'll be out of here very shortly, I promise you. I'm so gracious that you guys.